Uh, let's ask God to help us now understand his word. Our true and living God, we thank you and praise you that you sent your son Jesus into the world. And we thank you that you have preserved a record of his coming, of his teaching, of his life and death and rising. We pray now that as we come to the gospel, you would make it a living word to us. Uh, through your spirit, you will grant this word to take root in our hearts and bear fruit for life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a lot of busyness in this COVID-19 moment. Decisions being made, supplies being chased, models being developed, a constant flow of announcements and adaptations we have to make. A, a lot of uncertainties too about the nature of the disease, when and for how long someone with the virus is infectious, how long the shutdown will have to continue, when a vaccine might be ready. And there's a lot we can be thankful for in the response of the authorities and the seriousness with which they're taking this outbreak, the resources that we mercifully have as a society. But yet, but yet from where I stand, from what I hear on the radio and TV and read in the government information bulletins, it is a thoroughly secular response. The Lord Jesus is not part of the action. He's deemed to be as inessential as the gathering of his people. Our public trust and hope are to be wholly in the experts, in our doctors, in our resources, in our knowledge, in the leadership of our politicians, in our own efforts together. People might or might not pray privately to whatever God they choose, but that is irrelevant to our public response, irrelevant to actually dealing with the problem. Now, perhaps that might not strike you as strange. You might have become used to the secular worldview where honouring the Lord Jesus is irrelevant to the well-being of our society, where we live and plan and prosper and perish on our own, without God who is either uninterested or unable or non-existent. But that secular worldview is at odds with what our faith says about the Lord Jesus. Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth is his. And that was not an empty claim. He is the one whose word upholds the universe. In the vision of Revelation, he is the lamb that was slain, who is in the midst of the throne of the God, who says not a sparrow falls to the ground, but by his will. It is the Lord Jesus, Revelation 6, who opens the seals that unleash God's judgments on a rebellious world. He rules history and directs it to its appointed end. And Jesus lives with all authority, always able to help, to give mercy to those who call on him. Believe that, and that is what Christians have confessed from the beginning when they say Jesus is Lord. Believe that, and Jesus is the first one to turn to for relief from judgment, the one in whom you put your hope for security and peace, 
in the present and in eternity. Yet in our public conversation, in the face of this threat to life and stability, Jesus is overlooked. If he's considered at all, he's dismissed as irrelevant or the reality of his rule rejected. While the world goes about its business, solving its problems, managing its life without him. This is not the first time Jesus has been rejected as a source of hope, dismissed as irrelevant to the world and its ongoing life. That is exactly what is happening in John 18 to 19 as Jesus stands before Pilate. Rejection and dismissal are the verdict of the Jewish authorities and Pilate on Jesus. And it almost seems, as you read, it almost seems as if Jesus goes along with it. So were they right then to reject and dismiss him? Are those who do so now right? Are you right in living through this pandemic without turning to him? And why does Jesus seem so passive? If we're going to get our response to COVID-19 right personally and as a society, more, if we're going to be able to live with hope and without fear in a world of sickness, suffering and death, not just now but for all our days, if we're going to know who is ultimately in control and can be turned to for mercy and help, we need to listen to what the gospel tells us here about Jesus and his place in the world. But Jesus does seem very passive in this trial. He's no Marvel superhero. No, There's no witty defiance, no display of world-saving superpowers. And his passivity is such a contrast with the other actors in this drama. Take the Jews. And remember in John that the Jews stand for the Jewish authorities, their rulers, not the whole Jewish people. The Jews are energetically active. They bring 1828 Jesus to Pilate. They initiate the action and they press their case. They've got their teeth into Jesus and they're not going to let go. When Pilate shows disinterest, they insist. When Pilate wants to let Jesus go, they demand Barabbas. In the face of Pilate's finding Jesus innocent, they cry out, crucify him. And they know, as we see, chapter 19, verse 12, how to pile the political pressure onto Pilate. Everyone, they say, who makes himself a king opposes Caesar, Pilate's boss. These Jewish leaders know what they want and they are determined, relentless in achieving their goal. And Pilate, even though he is being pressured, he occupies centre stage. He's very active. He's the one giving the orders. He's the one interrogating Jesus. He's going in and out talking to the Jews. He has Jesus flogged. He has Jesus displayed with crown of thorns and purple robe. He knows and states his authority. Verse 10, I have authority, he says to Jesus, to release you and authority to crucify you. And he pronounces judgment on Jesus from the seat of authority. And mocking the Jews, Pilate gets what he wants. 
their commitment to the rule of Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. They finally say, Pilate is busy and in the end successful. The Jews, Pilate, animated, active. But Jesus, he just stands there and answers questions, allows himself to be manhandled, led here and there, mocked. There's no protesting his innocence, demanding his rights, displaying power. Jesus just seems to take it. And all this in a context where the whole debate is about who is king, who is king of the Jews. Pilate makes this this the central theme of this trial. He starts Jesus' interrogation with the question, verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? He concludes the trial by taunting the Jews, referring to Jesus as their king. Chapter 19, verse 14, he says to the Jews, Behold your king. And when they cry out, Away with him, Pilate says, Shall I crucify your king? This focus on whether Jesus is a king or not seems quite sudden, a surprise, but questions about Jesus and kingship have been in the air. After Jesus had fed the 5,000, the crowds had wanted, John tells us, to take Jesus by force and make him king. As he entered Jerusalem, the crowds greeted him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Whether Jesus was a king or not, whether he wanted to challenge Rome and rule over the Jewish people or not, was what Pilate was interested in. He wants to know if Jesus is a leader of a violent messianic movement, a threat to Rome. It's natural for him to focus on whether Jesus thinks he is a king. But for readers of the Jewish Bible, our Old Testament, for those conscious that God was active in the world through his dealings with Abraham and his descendants, the Jewish people, whether someone is the king of the Jews is a much bigger question than Pilate imagines. For the king of the Jews is the king, the ruler of the world. And who is the king of the Jews has always had a twofold answer. There is the living God. He is the ultimate ruler of Israel, of the Jewish nation. He was established as such by his rescue of them from Egypt and by the covenant he had then entered into with them at Mount Sinai. As Isaiah says, chapter 33, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our Lord giver, the Lord is our king. He will save us. And then there was the human ruler, the Lord appointed to administer the Lord's rule over Israel. Kings like David. God had promised that there would be a descendant of David who would rule on David's throne, a descendant who would also be God's son, the king of the Jews. Now there are many promises about this king, but listen to Psalm 2. God says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. The psalm goes on, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. 
This king of the Jews, this son, would be ruler of the world. And Isaiah speaks of this king in the most exalted terms. Isaiah 9, a passage familiar from Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This king's was to be an eternal rule, his an eternal kingdom. Whether Jesus is the king of the Jews is no small question. It involves the whole world and all of history. Are you the king of the Jews? The question focuses our attention on whether Jesus is the one in whom and through whom God will rule his people, will save his people, will establish his rule over the whole world. But as our passage unfolds, it becomes clear that the Jews violently reject the idea that Jesus is that king. In their cry for Barabbas to be released, they say that they would rather have a robber live than endorse the suggestion that Jesus is king. And goaded by Pilate, they submit themselves to Caesar, the pagan Roman emperor as their king. They submit themselves to Caesar rather than have the faintest suggestion that such a one as Jesus could be king of the Jews. In their eyes, it was this claim to be king that actually made Jesus worthy of death. For the Jews, Jesus is rejected as king. And for the non-Jew Pilate, Jesus is the dismissed king. Pilate raises the question, verse 33, are you the king of the Jews? But is then convinced by Jesus' answers that whether or not Jesus is the king of the Jews, it just doesn't matter. Jesus, with his talk, verses 36 and 37, of a kingdom not of this world, a kingdom that can't be established by human violence, Jesus saying that his mission in coming into the world was to bear witness to the truth, leads Pilate to dismiss Jesus. What is truth is not, not soul-searching anguish, for truth is looking him in the face. No, what is truth is a summary dismissal of Jesus. He's an irrelevant sideshow, irrelevant to the world of power, Pilate's world. Pilate is keen to release Jesus, not primarily because he's innocent, but because he reckons him harmless. Jesus, in Pilate's eyes, is no competitor to Rome, though he can be sacrificed to Rome's, to Caesar's goals, sacrificed to entrench Caesar's rule, Caesar's power. That's Jesus the king here, rejected by his own people, dismissed. But as we read this passage, it also becomes clear that Jesus, standing there, flogged and mocked, thinks he is the king of the Jews. My kingdom is not of this world, he said. 
Jesus knows he has a kingdom and he accepts, he does not deny Pilate's suggestion that he is a king. So you are a king, says Pilate. You say that I am a king, says Jesus. Jesus knows himself to be the king of the Jews and will go to his death, as we'll see on Good Friday, as king of the Jews. And we see in this passage what it is for Jesus to be king of the Jews. John notes in chapter 18, verse 32, that the Jewish insistence on a Roman execution, on crucifixion, fulfills Jesus' words about his death, where he'd spoken repeatedly of his being lifted up, lifted up on the cross. To be king is to be the one who speaks the truth, whose word is true. So in these events, it is what Jesus says would happen. That does happen. And for Jesus to be king of the Jews means that Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom from above, verse 36, who can bring men and women to share in that promised kingdom. You see, the origin of that rule, of that kingdom, is not from this world. That is, its origin is not in human power and violence. The origin of this rule is from God. And it is God's kingdom this king will bring. God's kingdom which God will establish his way through his king. And God's kingdom is the promised kingdom of righteousness and peace, of life and joy. Oh, to be king of the Jews means that the purpose of Jesus' coming is to both witness to and establish the truth of God, verse 37. In his teaching, Jesus tells us the truth of God. He reveals God to us. And in his life, and especially in his death, the death he's about to die, Jesus establishes the faithfulness of God. Jesus came to reveal God and to show God's faithfulness to his promised salvation by fulfilling in himself those promises. To be king of the Jews is to be 100% committed to the Father's word and to the Father's glory in grace and truth. And Jesus the king will do all that, establish the truth of his word, bring the kingdom from above, witness to the truthfulness, the faithfulness of God through the energetic activity of those who reject and dismiss him. Jesus appears passive because his enemies in their actions, even in their killing him, are serving his purpose. In all this, in the rejection and dismissal, they're actually doing his father's will. In killing him, they will be fulfilling his work to save God's people. But despite Jesus' calm and clarity... Despite his obvious and repeated innocence of any wrongdoing, Jesus at the end of this trial is handed over to the soldiers to be crucified. Whatever he thinks of himself, it looks like Jesus is the big loser here. Whereas both the Jews and Pilate, well, they seem to win, don't they? The Jews get their own way. Jesus is led away to be crucified, the clearest demonstration to all his misguided followers that he is no king, but a liar cursed by God. And Pilate has the power of Rome entrenched 
He has secured their allegiance to his master, Caesar. We see here Jesus is irrelevant. He can be dismissed from the world. His claims can be rejected and ignored. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? And you could think that until Easter Sunday, until risen from the dead, Jesus shows his hands and side to his followers and they touch him and speak with him and eat with him. God raised Jesus from the dead. That is a core part of our faith, part of the gospel we believe, believing which makes us Christian. The gospel that says Christ died for our sins was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead. In raising Jesus, what was revealed in this trial of the King of the Jews is confirmed by God as true in the way only God can, for he alone can raise the dead. Jesus is the one whose word is always true. Think of that. Just as Jesus said he would die and rise again, so Jesus has said he gives the new life of his spirit, eternal life, the life of the age to come, to all who trust him. And he says he will raise them from the dead. This word, this promise, is true, reliable, sure. It is the word of the king. What a difference, knowing that, believing that, makes. And Jesus brings the kingdom of God. He gives entry into that eternal reign, the new heaven and earth, to all who trust him. And Jesus decides the character of that kingdom. No violence, no competition for power, no fear or manipulation by fear of death. In that kingdom, life will be characterised as he is. (laughs) Life will be determined by who Jesus is and so characterised by grace and truth, love and faithfulness. And Jesus is seen to have the authority of God. He reigns, the King of the Jews, the Lord of all, and all that is serves him. In the resurrection, we see that the rejected one is the one who should be welcomed. Caesar, human power, a power sustained in the end by death and the fear of death was, is, always is, the great alternative to Jesus' rule. The Jewish leaders chose Caesar as the one with the power to fulfil their desire, to give them the life of this world, to secure for them in their rebe- to secure them in their rebellion against their God. And people still choose Caesar. For that reason. But to choose Caesar was for the Jews a tragic mistake, leading 66 to 70 AD to the complete destruction of what they were trying to keep for themselves. And to choose Caesar, to put your trust in human power and wisdom, is a mistake for you. It is to rob yourself. For Caesar and his like, they can never rid your world of violence. They hold power by violence. And Caesar can't bring justice. For being finite in his power, he has to manage conflicting interests to always promote his own interest. 
the security of the regime or the unquestionable nature of the ideology will always trump all other considerations. And Caesar can't raise the dead. Jesus is the much better king, the much better one in whom to put your trust. He doesn't need violence to secure his reign. He doesn't rely on the power of death. His is the power to give life, eternal life. He raises his people from death. And established in his reign by the just almighty God, there is no injustice in him. Jesus is the rejected king who should be welcomed. And Jesus is the dismissed king you should listen to, the one with whom you must engage. In verse 10, chapter 19, verse 10, we see Pilate boasting of his authority to Jesus in an attempt to intimidate Jesus into engaging with him. You will not speak to me, he says. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? But Jesus, to whom he speaks, has much greater authority, an infinitely greater authority, which Pilate's small delegated authority serves. In exercising his authority to crucify, Pilate only serves to establish the truth of Jesus' greater authority. What is this authority that Jesus the King possesses? Well, he speaks of it throughout the gospel. In John 10, he says, of his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus claimed the authority to lay down his life and take it again. And this is what he did. His passivity in this trial was really his active laying down of his life, the life he took up again in the resurrection. And in John 5, Jesus claimed authority to judge. He says of himself, he has given him, that is the Father, has given to Jesus authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. As the crucified and risen King, the glorious Son of Man whose kingdom is eternal. Jesus has authority to judge all and it is all. He has authority over all flesh. Again in John 17, speaking of his authority, he says, the Father has given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus' authority finds its fulfilment in giving eternal life to all his people, given him by the Father, all who believe in him. It is the authority to give to those who believe in him the right, the authority, to become God's children. Right back at the beginning of the Gospel, in the summary, there it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. Rather than being irrelevant, dismissed from the stage of history and sacrificed to the needs of continuing human power, Jesus in reality is the most important person for you to engage with. And you should do it now, 
for your eternity is in his hands, for judgment or for life, for abandonment to what your deeds, your pride, your thanklessness, your selfish greed that uses what God has given you just for your own ends, your lust that uses other people for your own satisfaction. You should engage with Jesus because your life is in his hands for abandonment to what your deeds deserve, eternal death, or welcome into the family of God. Engage with Jesus now. You can, he lives, and you will not be able to avoid him forever. Well, things are not always as they appear. The world's dismissal and rejection of Jesus was a mistake then, and it is a mistake now. Just as it was in the trial, when all the others seemed to occupy the stage and Jesus was just there, just as it was in the trial, you can be sure it is Jesus' purpose that is being worked out today in all things, including pandemics, his purpose of judgment or salvation. So if you have not yet welcomed Jesus, you should welcome him now. Welcome him as he is, the one whose word is true, the king of the eternal kingdom, the one with authority to give you eternal life or execute God's judgment upon you. The most important thing for you in this moment is not that you avoid COVID-19, but that you get right with Jesus. You welcome him by believing that what he says is true and asking him to forgive you and make you one of God's children. And if you are a believer, knowing that Jesus is the king, keep trusting him, whether in this pandemic it will be sickness for you or death for you or loss of job for you or not. I don't know what this pandemic will hold for you or for me, but I know that the Lord Jesus has not promised you long life or prosperity in this world. He has promised you something far better. So trust him for what he's promised you, for what he died to secure for you, for what as God's risen king he has authority to give you. Trust him for the new birth of the spirit. <laughs> the kingdom that is not of this world, the kingdom of peace and justice, of life without death, eternal life. Trust Jesus for adoption as God's child, to know the love of the Father in all things and forever. Trust him for the keeping power of the good shepherd from whose hand no one can take you. Trust him to use these present trials for your good to direct your heart to heaven and help you become more like him. Trust him for every word he has spoken and be faithful to the Christian confession of Jesus. He is Lord. Don't succumb to the worldliness that treats Jesus as irrelevant or treats him as if he is just your little personal comfort when things are tough. 
No, be true to your confession that Jesus is the one who holds the affairs of nations in his hands. He is Lord. And show that trust by living faithful to your king, by seeking out the good he is calling you to do at this time. Whether that is doing your duty in your work, whether that work is health care or child care or keeping the internet running or cleaning, in whatever your circumstance, or, or whether it is doing good by staying in touch with those alone and lonely, or teaching your children that Jesus can keep us, or being generous to those in material need, or sharing the gospel with those still in bondage to the fear of death, who face the prospect of death without hope. And while you might, like me, lament the secular dismissal of the Lord Jesus, knowing Jesus' authority, knowing that he brings us into the presence of the Almighty God, we should pray. So seek mercy, not just for yourself, but the society in which we live from the only one who can grant mercy from judgment. So seek the curtailment of the spread of the virus, the protection of those who serve us in health healthcare, wisdom for our leaders. But above all, ask that the Lord would open the eyes of your friends and neighbours to see both the poverty of choosing Caesar, the poverty of the idolatry of human power and knowledge, to open their eyes, to see the poverty of choosing Caesar and to see the glory of the true king, the Lord Jesus, humbled to be exalted, suffering to save, the one who can alone spare us from deserved judgment and give to mortal people, people like you and I who must die, to give to mortal people, eternal life and who can so set us free from fear now and forever. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that you would give us conviction that Jesus is the King of the Jews, the true King, the one to whom you have entrusted the rule over all nations and the rule for all time, the one who brings your kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace and life. Give us that conviction so that we trust him now, so that we live boldly as his followers, lives of love and doing good at this time, and can share that hope with a world without hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.